Welcome to Passion Life Church. Born, the King has come. If you have your Bibles, how many of you brought your Bibles to church? You can hold up your phone if that's if that's what you use as your Bible. Or how many of you have some old school Bibles, pages, Bibles? I like to use that at home. Turn to Luke chapter two, verse eight. How many of you are finished with your with your Christmas shopping? Let me see your hands. You're totally done. All right, no one. Okay, so we're gonna do a message on procrastination next week. How, how, how's that? No, I know. I'm I'm totally kidding. We're getting some last-minute things. Today, if you're taking notes, I entitled today's message, The Kingdom Within. The Kingdom Within, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood. Can we turn up the house lights just a little bit more, guys? I'd appreciate that so people can see their Bibles and... and uh, Oh, there. Oh, wow. Hi. How are you guys? Good to see you. All right. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the, in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord before, uh, stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Tell your neighbor real quick, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great judgment. What? What does it say? Did I read that wrong? Great tidings of great... What does it say? Joy. Come on, say it. Which will be to all people, all people, doesn't matter who you are, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, our Savior, who is Christ the Lord. You know, one of the things that I love about the Christmas season, and I think it actually starts in November, as soon as Halloween is over, right, all the death and all the, right, spiders in people's yards and grave uh, stones in people's yards, as soon as that is finished, it's interesting what happens in society. Society begins to focus their attention towards gratitude, and you can literally see a change in society. It's the same with Christmas, right? There's, you, some people would say, you know, Pastor Phil, it just seems like during this time, there's something in the air, right? There's love, there's joy, and it's all just kind of in the air. Can I just tell you that it's not a sense of something in the air? It's actually people deciding to be intentional about loving each other, generosity, and giving to one another. My church family, listen, it's not just something that happens spontaneously. It's what happens when people in our society begin to take the focus off themselves and give to someone else. Do you know that you don't even have to be a kingdom person? You don't even have to be a believer to experience the truths that are in the Bible. Let me give you just a, a quick example. How many of you this, this season will give more than you will receive? If you are a parent, you are giving, right? You're giving to that two-year-old. How much is that two-year-old giving back to you? How many presents did your two-year-old get? How many presents did you get for your two-year-old? What did they give you? They gave you a little homemade present in their diaper. Come on, somebody, right? Merry Christmas to you. 
What did they give you? As a parent, you know this, right? My three-year-old son, five-year-old son, he got me nothing for Christmas. But you know what? When he woke up in the morning, underneath the Christmas tree were a ton of gifts. And can I tell you something? I was happy about it. Why? Because the principle of the word of God is it's better to give than it is to receive. And so what happens in our lives is even as an unbeliever, guess what happens? You will give more than you will receive and you experience joy. Why? It is a godly principle. Can I hear a good amen today? And so it's not just something that is in the air. It's actually something that's intentional. And here's what's the great thing about that. For you and I as children of God, Christmas should last all year long because you and I carry joy and carry the love that is in Christmas. Can I hear a good amen today? We carry, just like Mary carried Jesus, you carry the Savior, Jesus, who comes on the inside of you by faith. Can I hear a good amen today? But I think it's so amazing because giving was God's creation. And what, how does God give, right? Does God give you a little white elephant gift with a $20, right, limit? He says, God so loved the world that he gave them a white elephant gift. Is that what the Bible says? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let me say it this way. God loved you so much that he gave the best gift that he could give. You know what the best gift God could give you was himself. And he didn't hold back. And that's why we worship. That's why for us, hear me my church family, we give gifts because he gave. And I always think it's interesting when I talk to people who, you know, they change out the word Christmas for holidays, but they're still giving gifts. I'm in the back of my mind. I'm going, you know why you do that? Because God is a giver. Who gave you that idea? You may not believe in him, but guess what? You're practicing what he practiced. And when you practice what he practiced, you will receive what he has for you to receive because they're truths. They're truths that work anytime. Can I hear a good amen today? Now, what I want to do today is I want to focus on the King Jesus because, you know, oftentimes as we read, you know, we, we focus on Jesus as our Savior. And I'm thankful. How many of you are thankful that he is our Savior? How many of you are thankful that he saved us from our sin? But my, ladies and gentlemen, can I just tell you that little baby in a manger wasn't just a Savior. He was the King of all kings. The Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But let's talk a little bit today about what Jesus came to do. Yes, obviously, he came to save us from our sins. Why? Because we could not save ourselves. But listen, he also came to establish his kingdom on this earth. He came to establish a kingdom. Now, when Jesus started his earthly ministry, I think it's important to understand that the disciples just really couldn't understand why Jesus was here. They had a misconception. They misunderstood Jesus's mission. They actually thought that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government. At that time, the, the people of God, right, were, were under Roman rule. And so the disciples had this idea that, okay, we're going to follow this guy because he's going to overthrow the Romans. Who hates the Romans? Join our cause. We hate the Romans, right? Follow Jesus. But can I ask you, was that Jesus's mission? You know what? The disciples actually thought, hear me, focus in for just a minute. Because I'm going to show you something today that I think 
is really going to apply to your life because we have misconceptions about Jesus as well and how he does things. But I want today to bring some clarity to you because the, the disciples thought that Jesus would begin by changing what was going on around them, but in, ter in terms of the political landscape. But write this down if you're taking notes. What Jesus really came to do was to change what was within them first. I thought that was good. Preach it, boy. See, some of us want Jesus first to change the world. What Jesus wants to do is change your world first. Because how can I make a difference if I'm not different? How can I make a difference if I act like every single other person? Say what they say, cuss like they cuss, right? And then on Christmas, give them a gift. Hey, Merry Christmas. We cannot change the world until we are changed first. And God is not here to change your behavior first. He's changed. He comes to change what's within you first. Can I hear a good amen today? Religion tries to change your outward. God says, first, I want your heart. Because once your heart is changed, everything will flow out of your heart. The Bible says, out of the heart flows the issues of your life. Pastor Phil, I have issues. I know, because they're in your heart. So God comes in to try to change your heart. Here's why. When you change what's going on within you, what's going on around you will change when what within you changes first. That's really good. The spirit world within you should dictate your outer world. You cannot control what's going on in the outer world, but you can control what you put inside your heart and in your spirit. Can you say a good amen? And so even the religious leaders of the day, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they came up to Jesus and they asked him this question. He says, they said, when will the kingdom of God come? They asked Jesus this question. Listen to Jesus' response. It's so profound. Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Are you glad you came to church so far? Listen, he says this, Luke chapter 17, verse 21. Now, when he was taken by the Pharisees, when the kingdom, when he was asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and he said to them, the kingdom of God does not come, watch this, with observation, nor will they say, see here, see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Listen, this is powerful. Sounds like a new book title, The Kingdom Within. I like that. Do you? Two more agree. It's done. You'll buy it? All right. I haven't even saw I haven't even. I was thinking about this. Third book coming out, Kingdom Within. Because you're all looking at the kingdom out. And God says the kingdom is within you. And this is what he says. And this is how it applies to our life. Man, how are things going to change? Over here, how are things going to change? When's the kingdom of God coming? Where is, the, is it over here? Is it over there? And Jesus says, don't look over here. Don't look over there. It's within you. It's within you. So where I go, the kingdom goes. When I go into a business meeting, the kingdom goes into a business meeting. Some of you don't do business, I guess. That's all right. The only business you do is in the bathroom. I'm good with that. But some of us have other kind of business that we do. Can I hear a good amen today? And where I go, the kingdom goes. When I go to school, the kingdom goes. When I go home, the kingdom goes. Why? Because the kingdom is within me. Come on, I had too much eggnog this morning. I'm excited. I know some of you aren't clapping. That's okay, because you don't know what resides on the inside of you. 
That's why you're preoccupied with what's going on around you all the time. That's why you're worried. That's why your anxiety, oh my gosh, what's going on? Who's going to be president? I don't know, but I know who the king is. I know who he is. And guess what? He resides on the inside of me. So may it be Biden or may it be Trump. May they resurrect Jimmy Carter. Come on, somebody. It doesn't matter to me because I know who the king is. And some of you, if you would just get a hold of on what's inside of you, you wouldn't worry about what's going on around you. Because you would understand that the kingdom is within you. You know what that word kingdom means? It means royal power. Do you know your royalty? Because you're the son of a king? Because you're the daughter of a king? Everybody look at me. I don't care who your daddy was. Who's your daddy? I don't know. But I know who my heavenly father is, and he's a king. See, I don't know who my daddy was. I know his name. Never met him. But I know who my heavenly father is, and my heavenly father is royalty, and he made me a king. Not just a prince, a king, the Bible says in Revelations. You will be kings and priests. It means royalty. It means dominion. Ooh, there's that word again. Then we just, some church just did a whole series on dominion. Maybe we did that because the kingdom is within us. And kingdom people know how to rule. Are you ready? Write this definition down. Kingdom, the royal power of Jesus as a triumphant Messiah resides on the inside of you. It's powerful. So how does God establish his kingdom on earth? Listen, God establishes his kingdom on earth through his people. Let's have fun. Man, Pastor Phil is wicked out there. Where's the kingdom people? Sleeping in on Sundays. Right? Man, we need better churches. Have you given to the church? Where's the kingdom people? Right? Then I wish my church was this. Are you serving? Where's the kingdom people? Anybody can complain, but I'm not a complainer because royalty doesn't complain. Royalty decrees. If you would just know what was in you, you would act different. But you're so, so many people are just trying to survive and not thrive because they don't know of the kingdom that's within them. Well, Pastor Phil, if I'm royalty, then why would I serve? Because our king is a servant king. And he has enough power to be able to get down on his knees and wash somebody else's feet. That's the king that we serve. But you have kingdom, the royal power of Jesus as the triumphant Messiah. And God establishes his kingdom on earth through his people. My church family, when you think about this king of kings, I want, I want you to think about Jesus as the king and all of his splendor. And yet, you know what he does? He clothed himself, he clothed himself in flesh. Why? In flesh. To reconcile us to the Father. But let's make no mistake, our King Jesus, in all his glory, in all his majesty, in all his power, will establish his kingdom. And how will he do it? He establishes his kingdom in his children. That's powerful. That's powerful. 
he places his divine kingdom in his people. See, if we really knew what was within us, we wouldn't be so concerned about the kingdom of the enemy that is around us. This is why you and I can look and declare, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But you know what many of us are claiming? Those who are in the world are stronger than me. That's where many people are living. Instead of greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So the kingdom of God in you is stronger than anything that's going on around you. Can I hear a good amen today? And so Paul writes about this. He describes the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. He says, after all, Amplified Classic, the kingdom of God is not a matter of just getting the food and the drink who one likes. How many of you know God knows you need food? How, how, do, how, do, how do I know that God knows you need food? Because he created you to need food. He created you to eat. You can go on a diet, and we're going to go on a fast in January, 21 days of fasting and prayer, because we are going to believe that God is going to do miracles in our life. Fasting is just to come to a point where we put and crucify our flesh, right? But you can fast 21 days, right? And you can pray, God, take away my hunger. But on day 22, guess what? You're going to be hungry because God created you to eat. He knows what you need. So he's not saying that he's not going to provide food or drink. But this is what he's saying, is after all, the kingdom of God is a matter of, get, not a matter of just getting food or drink one likes, but instead it's righteousness, the state of which makes a person acceptable to God. Listen, and in the heart, peace and joy. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, listen how he defines the kingdom, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit which all of those reside on the inside of you. Why? Because the kingdom is in you. Come on, say that with me. Say, the kingdom is in me. And now this is one of the things that really blesses my heart. Because when you read the Christmas story, the invitation for the kingdom to reside in your life comes to everyone. You know, the night, the first people that the angels appeared to were the shepherds. They were invited in society, they were considered the lowest of the low. Lowest of the low. In terms of social status, in terms of finances, and yet, the angels appear and say, come into the kingdom. Come into the kingdom. Mary and Joseph, right? Mary, Joseph was a carpenter. You could say he was a blue-collar worker, and guess what? They are invited to be part of the kingdom of God. Are you ready for this? The three kings that we call the Magi, which were very, very wealthy, my church family, they were also invited to be a part of the kingdom. This is why we call them a wise man. They were wise men because they realized with their wealth, with their status, there was still a kingdom that was greater than the kingdom that they knew. And they were smart enough to know I'm a wise man because in all of my wealth, in all of my status, there is one who is wealthier than I, that is more glorious than the kingdom that I have raised, the kingdom that I have made. And God is still looking for wise men today that would say, hey, you know what? I want to be a part of a kingdom that's greater than my own. I want to ask you a question. How vast, how powerful do you think the kingdom of God is? Think about it for just a moment. In your mind, in your intellect, how vast, how powerful is the kingdom of God? And that's what's within you.
And let me just say this, no matter how vast, no matter how powerful you think it is, it's a trillion times more. And yet God put that on the inside of you. You are, well, you are invited to worship the king. You are invited. doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your social status. It doesn't matter how much is in your bank account right now. You are invited to be a part of the kingdom of God. Aren't you thankful that he doesn't just invite certain people? That it's not just an exclusive club? Do you know that when Jesus walked on the earth, more sinners came a part of the kingdom of God than the wealthy people? Do you know why that the wealthy people didn't? Because they were happy with their kingdom. And I want to tell you, you may have built an incredible kingdom, but there is a kingdom that is greater than yours. You know, when I was reading this, the Christmas story, you cannot just look at the joy and the peace and the angels and the miracles without realizing that there was opposition in all that. See, just because the kingdom, Paul writes, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that there's not evil all around. As a matter of fact, that's why Jesus tells us the kingdom is within us and that you have joy and peace. Why? Because the world is evil. So God has already given you what you need so you can be victorious. Can I hear a good amen today? But as I read this, I started reading about another king. How many of you know that Christmas is a story of two kings? One, King Jesus, and another one, his name was Herod. As a matter of fact, Herod, when he heard of the birth of Jesus, he tried to trick the wise men. Hey, tell me, come on, give me his GPS location of where he is, watch this, so I can come and worship. And when he realized that he was tricked by the wise men, he got angered. And the Bible says this, Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. It says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, he was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children. He was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth to put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. This really intrigued me. This really intrigued me about Herod. How do you have people in a pasture seeing the wonders of God, seeing the miraculous things of God, seeing miracles? How do you have kings experiencing the wonder and the joy of Christmas, and yet you have another king who is trying to totally destroy Christmas? How do you have people who are rejoicing in the same season you have another person who is incredibly angry? That intrigued me. And then I, as I begin to read, the Holy Spirit stopped me for a moment. Can I just encourage you, when you read the Bible, don't just read for quantity, read for quality. Let the Holy Spirit stop you and let that, that breath of the Holy Spirit that inspired the writers inspire you. And as I was reading this, it was interesting. I just stopped and I felt like the Holy Spirit started ministering to me and he began to tell me, well, here's the answer, Phil. Here's the answer why some are experiencing miracles and the joy and everything that Christmas should be and some aren't. You know what Herod was doing? Herod was building and protecting his own kingdom. 
Instead of his life being filled with the joy that everyone was invited to, the peace, guess what? He was building his own kingdom. He was more concerned about his own kingdom. And as I read the scriptures, I felt like the Holy Spirit stopped me and said, Phil, how does a person become like Herod? As we talk about the marvelous kingdom of God, how does a person become like Herod? And then I had this thought. I wonder what Herod's habits were. And then I asked myself this question. I wonder if there's any of Herod's habits in me. Why is this important? Not just because he was some history uh, person, but you know what I have found? That this is still happening today. There are people in this room and watching online, you are experiencing the miraculous, and then there's others of you that are just going, how come it's not working for me? Oh, yeah, you know what? It's working for my sister. It's working for her. And then, you know, Anita got up here and talked about her sister who's living in a house, doesn't have a job, and God is doing, how does it happen for her? Well, because she acknowledges that there is a greater kingdom than herself. But Herod, his priority was his own kingdom. And watch this, and protecting it. Because if you build your own kingdom, you have to protect it. And oftentimes what we do is we want God's blessing, and we make a mess, and we go, God, we want you to bless this mess. And so here is, 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 uh, is Pharaoh, and then he's building his own kingdom. And I thought, okay, I want to look at this guy. This is interesting, because you know what? I don't want to see any of Herod's kingdom in my life. I don't want to see it. And then I, I studied. And you know, there was four major priorities that Herod had. Can I tell you? And these are all things that you and I can have. Number one, he had a preoccupation with power. Let me say it this way. He wanted to control everything. He wanted to control everything everything. In Herod's mind, there would be no other king but himself. In other words, he lived to control his own life. He said, where is he born the king of the Jews? So he felt that he had to gain and produce his own power. Now listen, listen to the deception is this, in this, because Herod didn't produce his own power to begin with. He had delegated power from the Roman Empire. Now, does the Bible talk about power for you and I as the, as the believer? Okay, let me ask, let's go back. Does the Bible talk about power for you and I as a believer? But is it my own power? No. The Bible says when the Holy Spirit comes upon me, he will give me power, right? So for you and I, my priority doesn't have to be with power. My priority needs to be with presence. The presence of the Lord. His kingdom, right? I should prioritize the presence of God. What is that? Simply surrendering my power to the power of God. Because let me just tell you, I want to help you. The power of God is much more powerful than your own self-will and your own energy and your own strength. You say, this is so simple. It's obvious. It's not so obvious. Because people are still trying to do their own thing and say, I will control my own destiny. Can I just tell you that the destiny and the plan that God has for you will blow your mind? It will be more than you could ever imagine or think. Just relinquish control. Listen, you can't control every situation. You can't control every relationship. But what you can do is you can surrender your heart to the Lord. 
You know, another habit that Herod had, he had a preoccupation with possessions. He built seven palaces, seven theaters, one seated 9,500 people. He built a stadium that sat 300,000 for all my uh, cowboy fans. I think that was bigger. And here's the reality. You know why he built these? He built these for his desire to impress people. Impress people. Because he was so, he wanted people to like him so much, he thought that they would like him for his possessions. Let's break it down. He thought people would be impressed by what kind of car he drove, what kind of home that he had. Now listen, as I'm talking to you, you go, well, doesn't God want us to flourish? Oh, absolutely. But that's why you and I as believers should prioritize God as our provider. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says the blessing of the Lord maketh rich, but watch, it adds no sorrow to it. Herod had sorrow and hate. The Bible says Jesus actually became poor so you could become rich. He became a curse so you could be free. Well, you know what? He did it. You don't have to do it. You just have to receive it and believe in Jesus' name. Can I hear a good amen today? And I started to analyze this, and I'm going, hold on. Do I have this? Am I preoccupied with power? I got to control everything. Am I so into my possessions? Can I tell you, here's how you know you're into your possessions. You can't give it away. You know, I've never been a big watch person. I just, but now I was like, okay, now they're finally making some manly watches instead of these little scrawny little female watches that guys with wrists my size, it looks like a little pimple on. And I saw this watch. It was amazing. So I bought it for myself. And I don't really buy a lot of stuff for myself. It's like 350. It was my favorite watch. And I just loved it. I didn't care what anybody else thought about it. And it's funny because you know it's awesome when people are walking up and go, man, I love your watch. It's so awesome. So we were at a, at a church, and, uh, and we were doing a conference. And, um, and I don't know if you ever heard this band. They're, they're not real popular. They're called the Newsboys. But they were um, at, our, at our church. And so because I was the youth pastor, I was backstage with them, all this stuff. And Duncan, their, their, uh, their drummer, we were just talking. He's like, man, I love your watch. And I felt like the Lord say, give it to him. And I said, I rebuke you, Satan, in Jesus' name. That's my favorite. Satan, you try to talk to me? Tell me to, how many of you know Satan's not telling you to give stuff away? And for a moment, I took off my watch and I said, here, man, the Lord told me just to give you this. Because I'm not preoccupied with my profession my possessions. You know what? God is my provider. And do you know what he's done? He's brought me other watches that people have given me. You can never outgive God. Herod had a preoccupation with prestige. Prestige means the respect and admiration watch based on other people's perception of you. You want to have prestige just simply because you want people to have this opinion of you that they admire you. Now, let me just, let's just be honest. Okay, I want people to respect me. I want people to admire me. But look at how Herod went about this. He actually, out of 10 of his marriages, he, um, they were all prestige-oriented and politically motivated. He married the daughter of his leading rival just to gain prestige. Now, does God want you to be prestigious? Yeah, 
Does God want you to be prestigious? But how does he do it? He says this. He says, if you humble yourself before the Lord, he says this, I will exalt you. He told Abraham, Abraham, I will make your name great. There's nothing wrong with your name being great. It's how you go about it. And God loves to exalt his people because you're his child. Just like you, when you have your children, you want people to go, oh, look at that little baby. When your son does something amazing, you're like, man, that's my son. That's how God feels about you. And he wants your name to be great, but he wants people to know that he gets the glory of your name being great. Can I hear a good amen today? But what happens with Herod, he didn't humble himself. He exalted himself. The Bible says when we humble ourselves, God said, I will exalt you. And here's the last thing, okay? Because this is where all of this leads, right? He had, let, let's, let's just go preoccupation with power, preoccupation with possessions, preoccupation with prestige. Watch this. And then number four, here's the result. He had a preoccupation with paranoia. One of the, the things that historians talk about Herod the Great was he was the paranoid king. You know why? When you're building your own kingdom, you're going to be fearful. He had the fear of man, right? People's opinions. And listen to this. He lived with such a fear of losing his power, his possessions, and his prestige that it caused him to live a paranoid life. Watch this. He was so paranoid, he had a ton of sons. He had 10 wives. He had, can you imagine, 10 wives, 10 stepmothers. Come on, somebody, right? Uh, Mother-in-laws. He had 10 mother-in-laws. Listen, the Bible, historians say that when he found out that two of his sons were talking about possibly taking over his kingdom, he killed both of his sons, he killed one of his wives, and he actually killed one of his mother-in-laws because he thought that they would take over his power. And I know this seems very extreme. You're like, I would never do that. Yeah, you may never do that, but you may speak that over people. You may try to destroy a relationship. You may try to gossip about somebody just because it lowers your prestige. It lowers your kingdom. It lowers your perspective in other people's lives. Are you getting something today? And I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me, Phil, are there any Herod habits in you? Are there? You know, he was so consumed with fear that on his deathbed, Herod the Great was so consumed, he was afraid that nobody would mourn his death. So here's what he did. He took all of his cabinet that ruled with him, and he had them all killed so people would mourn not only their death, but to make sure that they were crying when he died as well. You go, Phil, extreme. It is extreme. But here's what I'm telling you. This is where these things lead. This man didn't just happen to be this way. It started over years. And so his preoccupation with all of these things, here's the saddest thing to me, my church family. You know how he died? He died of an undiagnosed disease to the point that he had so much pain that they would hear him yelling at night. And one time he was in so much pain that he tried to end his own life that his cousin stopped him from committing suicide because he had so much pain. Why? Building his own kingdom. And you know what I thought? I thought the greatest tragedy of this story 
is Herod's life and what he wanted, everything he needed was found in the king of kings. His name is Jesus. But he wouldn't put aside his own kingdom to serve the king of kings. How could you be so paranoid that a baby, a baby threatens a grown man? A baby king threatens a king who is a grown king. My church family, that is what fear does. Because when you build your own kingdom, you have to sustain it. When you build your own kingdom, you're the protector. Not God, you are. And this is where his life leads. And I thought, wow, how sad. Because you know what? Everything he wanted, everything he longed to be could be found in Jesus. Can I just tell you that today, Passion Life Church? Everything you need is found in the king of kings, your provision, your prestige. Come on, somebody. All of those things, all of those things, the possessions that you need, the power that you need is all found in him. But I thought, wow, Christmas is a story of two kings. Before I end today, I thought, what if we just compare and contrast the two kings? Jesus, our king, was selfless. He obeyed everything his father said to do. Herod was selfish, did everything to please himself. You know what the Bible says? If you make something happen for other people, God will make it happen for you. You know what I've learned? I'd rather God make things happen for my life. Herod was, Jesus was a servant. He gave his life in ministry as a sacrifice so the world could know God. Herod was a tyrant. He sacrificed lives of others for his own gain and his own glory. Jesus defines serving others as greatness. Herod would try to just serve himself to make himself great. Jesus says, power and authority I give to you so you can reign in life. Herod says, power is mine and I alone earned it. Jesus says, I will give my kingdom to my people and they will be marked by righteousness, Joy and peace, Herod's kingdom would be lost and would be defined by fear and paranoia. Jesus' kingdom will reign forever, but Herod's kingdom will be forgotten. How would you like your legacy to be? This is the only thing that the Bible writes about King Herod, Herod the Great. You know what it writes? It writes that he was afraid of a child. That's his legacy. That's his legacy. And I want to remind you today, my church family, that if you will surrender your life to the kingdom of God, here's what, it, here's what Paul says. I just want to remind you. He says, the kingdom of God is righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. Righteousness is a free gift. We've talked about it. The Bible says you'll stand in righteousness. And then the Bible says this, the kingdom of God is peace. I know people who are wealthy that do not have peace. They try to pay for peace. You cannot pay for peace because peace is not something. Peace is a presence. It's a person. His name is Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace. You know, in the Greek and in the Hebrew, when you look up the word peace, it means completeness, soundness, health, welfare, and prosperity. Everything, everything in peace. Now, listen. As a child of God, you have peace. You have peace. Can I ask you this question? Is God always at peace? Is there anything that gets God out of peace? No. There should be nothing that moves you out of peace. Why? Because the kingdom of God is within you. But you're not relying on the peace you have. 
you're looking outside at the world that is chaotic. But when you understand that Jesus says, I give you my very own peace. The Bible says it's a peace that passes understanding. That peace will guard your heart and your mind. When you have peace on the inside of you, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. It doesn't matter the chaos that's going on around you. And you know how I know you have peace? Not only because you have the kingdom, but the Bible says it's actually a fruit or a result of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is peace. Everybody say peace. Can I tell you what fruit is? Fruit is the outward expression of an inward life. Let me say that again. Peace is an outward expression of the inward life. We have the kingdom within us, but the kingdom is not supposed to stay within us. The kingdom is supposed to be expressed outside of us. Because when you live in peace, people will notice. You know, I love my wife. She's here today. She works 8 to 5 every, every uh, week. She's a physical therapist, has people all around her, non-believers all around her. But you know what? Although she has non-believers all around her, she has the kingdom of God within her. And it's amazing to me because she keeps telling me people will pull her aside, other coworkers, and ask her this question, how are you doing this? The other night she was late coming home from, from work, and, and how many of you know a man's hungry? Come on, somebody, we need, we need to eat. And I'm like, man, where's my, what's going on? And she, she works out in Moreno Valley, so she travels. So I'm concerned. I want to make sure, you know, so I'm just praying, and I don't hear from her. So she gets home really late, and she comes, and she goes, hey, I'm sorry, but so-and-so at work pulled me aside and had like a 45-minute conversation with me because they want to know how I'm living this life in such a chaotic world. How does, what's happening? People are visualizing the kingdom that is within her because it's an expression of her life. Peace is there when everybody else is chaotic my church family but listen this is how the kingdom expands because people go how do you have peace when i'm in chaos because it's the kingdom of god that when he comes inside your life nothing can move you can i hear a good amen today so the kingdom of god is not just to stay inside you it's supposed to be used and listen and relied upon when everything else is chaotic in your life Listen, you may not have what you think you need, but you have exactly what you need. You have Jesus, and he will make a way where there seems to be no way. He is your provider. Come on, somebody. He is the one that will make it happen for you. But stop building your own kingdom. Here's the last one. He says that in the kingdom, there's joy. You know, joy is the state of well-being characterized by God's eternal character not circumstances. Let me say that again. Joy is a state of well-being characterized by God's eternal character, not circumstances. Now, I'm going to tell you this, and I think you know some of this. Happiness is based on happenings. But when you actually look at the word, the root word of the word happiness, it's actually derived from this old English word. It's called hap. Everybody say that. Say hap. Watch. Hap means this. Chance, occurrence, circumstance, happening, luck, incident, or event. So happiness is defined, listen, as a state of well-being characterized by emotions ranging from contentment to intense joy. So according to these definitions, I want you to listen to this. According to these definitions of happiness, happiness is seeing my state of well-being through my emotions that is determined either by something happening, by chance, circumstance, or some incident. 
Happiness is always external, but joy is always internal. Because my joy is connected to the immovable character of God. I always say, happiness is the feeling of joy. And here's the thing about joy. Joy is divine. It's from God. God actually defines his presence by joy. He says, in my presence is fullness of joy. Man, I wish some Christians would let joy affect their face sometimes. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Yeah, I bet so. But the Bible says that the joy of the Lord will give you strength in any moment. Can I just tell you, look at, look at me as we close today. If you understand joy, you will endure anything. The Bible says in Hebrews that the joy set before Jesus, by the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. Jesus endured the cross because of joy. You have something to celebrate. You have the presence of God in you, around you. You have something to celebrate. You are righteous before God. You have a lot to celebrate. You have peace that passes all understanding in every storm. You have something that you can celebrate. The kingdom of God is within you. But my church family, we've got to rely on it, and we've got to live like it. Can I hear a good amen today? And I want to encourage you, this 2024, as we go, hey, I'm not here to build my kingdom. I am here to to build the kingdom of God. Watch what God will do in your life. Can I hear a good amen today? Come on, let's give him a good round of applause. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.